I was reading an article on the internet this week, and something I read was that there are 317 million 645,658 people in the United States of America. Okay, so that's almost 318 million people in America. And then if you, I read that if you line them up, single file line, you've probably heard this before, this is the first time I've ever heard that. But if you line them up, single file line, you could, you could wrap the earth almost seven times with those people. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And the reality is that God created every one of those people. When I say those people, we're, we're one of those, right? Yeah. Every one of those. And he created them with a plan. And the Bible says he created them with a purpose. All 318 million of us are known by God. In fact, he sent his son, Jesus, Yeshua, to die on the cross so that all 318 million of, and we're not even talking about the rest of the world, we're just talking about America, right? Would have eternal life. He did that for us. Something else I read was that over 150 million of the 318 million are unchurched. So get that picture in your head. 318 million million people in the United States, of those 318 million, 100, over 150 million of those people are unchurched. Now, most of those are probably unsaved, meaning that they have not called upon the name of Jesus, believed that he is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, and chosen to follow him. Most of those people are unsaved. But listen, there are a lot of those people, of the 150,000 unchurched, a lot of those people that would say that they are born-again Christians. But they're not connected to a local church. And that really grieves me. Does it grieve you guys? It grieves me. And I, I'm just an under-shepherd. <laughs> I'm just the shepherd of a local church. Imagine what the good shepherd, how he feels about it, how it grieves his heart. Because he's the one that would be able to lead every one of those people to green pastures and, and beside quiet waters. And he's the one that's able to restore their soul. And he's the one that would walk with them through every valley of the shadow of the death. And he's the one that would comfort them with his rod and his staff. Psalm 23, you guys know what, y'all picking up what I'm laying down? So if it grieves me as an under-shepherd, if you will, imagine how it grieves the Lord. I read these statistics from this article by Dr. Tom Rainer. Some of you may know who that is. He, uh, he's an author. He's written like 30 books, 30, 40 books, most of them on the church one way or the other. And um, he, for 15 or so years, he was the president of Group, which is a church consulting firm. So he's always been in the world of what's going on. Um, right now, I think he's the CEO of Lifeway Resources Group or whatever. Um, but his job this guy's job, Tom Rainer, his job and his passion is to understand the condition of the church in our culture. Like that's what he's passionate about. That's what he puts all his effort towards. And for the past three years, he and his research team have been involved in this uh, extensive, intensive interaction with the unchurched, specifically looking towards reaching out to the unchurched. And he's covered all 50 states. He's covered most of Canada just listening Okay, just listening to the unchurched. And they do have some specific questions that they're asking. 
but for the most part, just listening. And in all demographics, he's, he's going to the poor parts of the country. He's going to the rich parts of the country. He's, he's interviewed uh, just as many men as he has women. He's, he's talked to people with um, very little education. He's talked to people that have doctoral degrees, okay? All kinds of people. And he goes with them, and he's just listening to them. Him and his team, his group, and listening literally for thousands of hours. I mean, he tells you, thousands of hours are spent with these unchurched people. And he does have a, a list of questions to get the ball rolling. But a lot of times, the, because they're just listening and talking, a lot of the times the, the unchurched people will just start talking. And he says that some of the best conversations happen when that's the case, when they just start talking. And it's in those contexts that he learned, discovered some surprises. Okay, And Dr. Rayner wrote an article or did an article in Christianity Today's website, on their website, on one of their pages, Building Church Leaders or something, one of their pages. And this article is called 10 Surprises About the Unchurched. Okay? If you want that link, I can send it to you. If you ask me, email us at email, whatever, whatever our email is. Okay? And we'll send that to you. 10 Surprises About the Unchurched. And now, I'm going to cover a couple of them. We wouldn't have time to cover all 10, but I'm going to cover a couple of them. And I'm just going to read straight from his article. Is that okay? Okay. Surprise number two. We'll start with two. Most of the unchurched feel guilty about not attending church. It's like, well, we feel guilty about it too. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? Most of the unchurched feel guilty about not attending church church. Though we did not ask a specific question about their feelings about not attending church, the majority of the unchurched expressed guilt in different ways. These guilty feelings were especially prevalent among adults who have children living at home. Now push pause real quick and make a mental note of that. Okay, make a mental note of that. There are families that have some sort of inclination about getting their family into church. Okay, pause. Now, play. <laughs> Where were we? Mary of Florida said that every Sunday morning I wake up and feel terrible about not taking Shanna and Tim to church. And my husband, Mike, feels the exact same way. It's just tough to start a habit of doing something that you've never done before. So if they feel guilty, why did the unchurched continue to avoid church? As strange as it may seem to a church-going Christian... The church intimidates the unchurched person. They do not think that they can fit in a place they have never attended. And they are uncertain about church protocol. They just fear that they will feel out of place. And we'll push pause again. I hope that no one ever comes into this place and feels out of place. Amen? Now, you guys do know that that's not my job to make them feel in place or out of place, right? That is us as a team showing them the genuine love that we have for them. Good thing is, is we're already great at that, right? You're like, yeah, we're good. Okay? Okay, play. Is there anything that could get the unchurched to attend church? That answer led us to the next surprise. This is surprise number three. You ready? 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. 
Perhaps we need to pause on this response. Perhaps we need to restate it. More than 9 out of 10 of the unchurched said that they would come to church if they were invited. If you glean anything from this article, if you glean anything from this sermon, (laughs) please remember this point, that 9 out of 10 people said that they would attend church if somebody would just invite them. He goes on to say, we estimate that 160 million people in the United States are unchurched, if we define unchurched as attending church two or less times a year. You follow that? Okay. Two or less times a year, we consider someone unchurched. If our research is, is even close to accurate, the implications are staggering. That means that over 153 million people would start attending church if they were invited. Okay, so let me run that by again. 160 million people in the United States are unchurched because 90% of them said that they would go to church if someone just invited them. 96% of 160 million is 153 million that would start attending a church if someone would just invite them. Isn't that amazing? What constitutes an invitation? For many of the unchurched, it was a simple invitation to come to one's church. For others, for others, it was an invitation that included an offer to meet someone at the church to show them around or walk with them in the building. Mental note, right? In either case... The process was pretty basic. If we invite them, they will come. You guys are thinking of a movie right now, aren't you? (laughs) If you build it, they will come. If we invite them, they will come. He goes on to say, the next obvious question is, are Christians inviting non-Christians to church? The heartbreaking answer is no. Only 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. Let me say that again. Only 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. That's sad. Can I get a witness? Here's what's sadder. Only 2% of active churchgoers invite an unchurched person to church. Okay, what? (laughs) I don't know about you, but that sounded to me that that means that most of the people who do invite others to church are inviting people from other churches to their church. (laughs) Am I computing that wrong? I mean, I'm I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So let's move on. Let's do one more calculation. Actually, maybe two. One more calculation. Are you guys okay with numbers? I'm kind of a numbers guy, so it helps me put things in perspective. One more calculation. Remember, he said that 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. Okay, what if we were just kind of liberal and said, not liberal, conservative. 
What if we were conservative in that number and said 50%? What if 50% of those said that they would come to church if they were invited? That means that out of 160 million unchurched people, at 50%, more conservative number, 80 million would be willing to come to church. 80 million people would still be willing to come to church. Can you imagine how many people would be reached for Christ if 80 million people would just come and visit churches? Right? 80 million. And for the sake of statistics, (laughs) let's say that only one-fourth of those 80 million One-fourth of those had humble hearts. You guys remember a few weeks ago we talked about the parable of the soils. And there was four soils. And those soils represented people's heart. And one um, never even had a chance to bloom because its heart was hardened. But we talked about the one that really did um, not only bloom but moved on and became strong in his faith. That was the one that had humble hearts. You guys remember that? That would be the one-fourth. Okay, let's say that one-fourth of those 80 millions had humble hearts. And the timing, everybody say timing. The timing was right for them, and they were ready to receive the truth of God's word. Then that would mean that 20 million people would truly become born-again believers who would become active parts of the kingdom of God. 20 million people. We're talking conservative numbers, and we're now we're just down to a quarter of those. That's still 20 million people. People. Now that's the macro, okay? That's the big picture, okay? Big United States. Let's look at the micro. Let's look at Tyler, Texas, or the greater Tyler, Texas area. Is that okay? Can we keep going with some numbers here? Okay. Let's, let's just say, and this is probably true actually, that there's about 200,000 people in the greater Tyler area, okay? Um, our realm of influence, we're talking about Tyler, we're talking about Lindell, we're talking about Bullard, we're talking about Flint, we're talking about Chapel Hill and White House and, and Chandler. You guys see what I'm saying? The greater Tyler area, easily 200,000 people, right? Easily. Okay, and if we went by the same national statistics that we were looking at, That would mean that 100,000 of those 200,000-ish are unchurched. In the greater Tyler area, 100,000 people potentially unchurched. (laughs) Okay, so if 96, excuse me, if 96 of those said that they would come to church if they were invited, that is 96,000 thousand people in the greater Tyler area that would potentially come to church if we just invited them. If we took it to the next step and we're a little conservative like we were a second ago, eh, 50%. 96 is a little high, don't you think? (laughs) Okay, 50%. 50% of those people that would come to church if we invited them, that's still 48% thousand people in the greater Tyler area that would come to church if somebody would just invite them. And let's look at the one-fourth, the quarter, the one out of four that may possibly have hearts that are humble and ready to receive. The timing is right for them to receive the word of God into their hearts. That would be 12,000 people that would come to Christ truly born again In our realm of influence, in our realm of influence like that, 12,000 people that could possibly be ready right now to be born again and move on their merry way with Christ. Whoa. 
And then let's talk about the 300 plus churches real quick. There's, there's, there's over 300 churches in Tyler, but let's just use the number 300 for the sake of easy multiplication, okay, and division. If the 300 churches in Tyler would begin inviting the people that said that they would come if they were invited, that means that, well, let's just say they started inviting, and of those 12,000s, one-fourth of them, of those, had hearts ready to receive, Okay? Or maybe I already did that. I already did that. Twelve, whatever. Okay. Let's say a quarter of them, those came to know Christ, like we said. That means that every church would have 40, it's not a big number, but 40 new, 300 churches would have 40 new additions to their church family. It doesn't seem like a big number, but it is if you think about it. What if all of a sudden, I mean, let's start counting seats. What if we started counting seats and put 40 people in these seats right now? This place would even look completely different. And then what if they were truly born-again believers on mission? What would that look like? Just for our church. I'm talking about 300 churches. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? It's a big deal. And the bigger deal is that if 12,000 people came to know Christ today, this week, this month, truly born again, it can make a huge dent in the spiritual atmosphere of Tyler, Texas. It would change our families. It would change our churches. It would change our schools. It would everything. I mean, everything literally would shift. It wouldn't solve all the problems, would it? But don't you think there would be a big, huge shift in the culture, the spiritual atmosphere of Tyler, Texas? And yet, and yet, seven out of ten unchurched people have never even been invited to church. In their whole life. Now I get that we are in Tyler, Texas. We are in the Bible Belt. I get that. But you have to understand. We have to understand. That there are people moving here from all over the place. They're moving here. They're trying to get out of California as quick as they can to get here. Isn't that true? I'm not being ugly about California. I'm just saying there's people coming over here. We know that California is a little more liberal in their thinking. And certainly as it relates to Jesus. Right? People coming up from the north, people coming from other countries to play sports at our schools, to be doctors and nurses in their hospitals. I mean, I'm running across people all the time. They don't know. And you guys probably are too. Hindus, Muslims, I mean, all kinds of people. Atheists, agnostics, people that, I mean, you start talking to to them about church. And some, especially younger kids of those families, they don't even know what church is. What do you mean go to church? What's that? Literally heard people's people uh, testimonies of people say we we invited someone to church and they never they don't even know what that was. <laughs> I'm just being for real with you, okay? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says what? For I know the God says to Jeremiah to the people I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I know that that's primarily written to Israel during a specific season of history for that nation. But listen, you look at Psalm 149 and it tells us that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. It goes on to say that the Lord is good to all. That he has compassion on all that he has made. And if God has planned for everyone's hope and future then isn't it also true that he wants everybody to move towards that future? To move towards that hope? 
Of course, we know hope. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So to move towards Christ, isn't that right? Then why is it that only 21% of churchgoers invite people to church every year? You realize if you put that statistic on our church, a church of about 200, that means that there are 42 of us that are going out and inviting people to church. 42 of us. If you looked at the 2% that, only in, that never invites unchurched people, <laughs> the 2%, that's only four of us. Four out of a couple of hundred people that are actually engaging with unchurched people. <laughs> are you guys like... <laughs> I mean, I know they're just numbers, but these numbers represent people. The 160,000 or million unchurched represents a group of people. The 2% that aren't reaching out represents a people, doesn't it? And I know some people would say that the reason that's not happening, and I, don't, I wouldn't even say this about our church. I don't think our church is really geared this way, wired this way. But there are some people that would say, well, it's because we're being the church. And we're out in the community. We're ministering outside of the walls where they are. And they wouldn't come to church anyway because if you, even if you invited them because they're disillusioned with the church. They don't like the church. They don't trust the church. And they don't trust pastors. Can I just tell you that that dog won't hunt? That dog won't hunt. First of all, surprise number four from the article. Very few of the unchurched had someone share with them how to become a Christian. And Christians have not been particularly influential in their lives. So that dog won't hunt, will it? That dog ain't going to catch nothing. Kill it. It don't hunt. And surprise number five was, get this, most of the unchurched people have a positive view of pastors and churches and leaders and ministries. I'm not making it up. A trustworthy guy asked a lot of people some questions. So that dog won't hunt. And second of all, 95, this is true, 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 95%. You guys realize that's just 5% short of all of us. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. 80%. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism at all. Less than 2%. And then 71% do not give toward the financing of the Great Commission. So even within the church, there's 71% of us. They don't even give anything towards that. Whether that be tithes or special offerings towards things that would reach out to the unchurched. That dog won't hunt, will it? Oh, we're just trying to be the... No, you ain't being nothing. And third of all, which we've already stated, 95, uh, 96% of the unchurched said that they would come if somebody would just invite them, right? And yet, seven out of ten of them have never been invited to church. Now, I'm going to ask one question, and I'm going to give three answers, okay? One question and three answers. The question is this, what is our problem? What is our problem? Now, 
when I say our problem, I'm talking about the church universal, the body of Christ. Okay, because I do believe that we stand out as a church in a lot of different ways. I don't think the statistics would be quite, quite accurate in our church. Would you guys agree? But if we were at, at 90% effectivity, wouldn't we want to be at 100%? What is our problem? Turn to Romans 10 real quick. This is, this is a spot in Scripture where Paul... He had just come out of Romans chapter 9, which is, which is really all about Israel. He's making some statements about Israel. I want to show you what he says right here in verse 1, chapter 10, Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, talking about Israel, is for their salvation. If you want to write this first thing down, problem number one is that the church does not have a burden for the unchurched. Let's just bottom line it. The church does not have a burden for the unchurched. Look what he says. My heart's desire. What I really want. My burden. Now this is talking about, he's kind of talking about Israel. And he goes on a little bit later. And we'll, we might look at it if we have time. To talk about how this really applies to Gentiles and Jews. But he had just come out of chapter 9. Where he had, he had made the most bold statement about his burden that I've ever heard. In verse nine, chapter 9, he says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies. I'm really serious about what I'm about to say. In the Holy Spirit, I am telling you the truth. I have a great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, a burden. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I would give my own life and even salvation if the whole nation of Israel could be saved. Again, he's saying that because he knows it's not even possible. But is that a burden or what? The church does not have a burden for the unchurched. For Paul, the unbelieving Jews were the unchurched. He was burdened for those who were, should have gotten it but weren't getting it. And he was burdened for Gentiles, the ones who just didn't get it for sure. I thought about this. How do you develop a burden? How do you develop a burden? If I could give you one answer to that question it would be ask questions you want to develop a burden ask questions about things outside of your own life's circumstances you know the church doesn't have a burden because it's not looking for one the church is much more concerned about themselves than they are the unchurched turn to nehemiah really quick it starts out like this it happened that while i was in susa the capital that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them. I asked them a question. He asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. He asked a question about his brothers, about his countrymen, about the atmosphere around him. He asked a question that, was, that had to do about things outside of his own life's Circumstances. Are you with me? The church does not have a burden for the unchurched. That's problem number one. And we don't have a burden because we're not asking. And I've, I've always had somewhat of a burden, but when you start looking at these numbers, it's like, are you kidding me? So the problem number one is that the church doesn't have a burden for the unchurched because we're not asking questions. The second thing is that the church does not pray for the unchurched. Remember what he said in verse 1 of chapter 10? Brothers, my heart's desire, 
my burden, and my prayer to God is for their salvation. We don't have a burden, and we're also not praying for the unchurched. It's not even on our radar for the most part. I'm talking about collectively. Some of you, it may be. Maybe you're praying all the time, and God bless you. Look at the very next thing that Nehemiah did. It said, I asked them concerning the Jews, and this is what they told me. The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and its gates are burning with fire. That's bad news, right? For his countrymen, for his people. It says in verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Why? Because he was burdened. But what's the next thing he does? And I was fasting. In other words, I began fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. And it goes through and you can read his prayer there. He got a burden and he started praying. He got a burden and he started praying. But the church doesn't pray for the unchurched. Why? Because it doesn't have a burden for the unchurched. People that today, if the Lord came back or if they encountered death, they would also encounter what Scripture calls the second death. If they do not know Jesus. That's the reality. But that's not a burden of ours. And so we don't pray for that. The church does not pray. But we need to pray for the unchurched. Problem number three. Is that the church is expecting someone else to reach. The unchurched. Let me say that again. The church is expecting someone else. To reach the unchurched. Now I'm going to say something. It may just kind of tweak your theology a little bit. A lot of people are counting on God's sovereignty to get the work done. God is sovereign, but that's not how he works. If he was, he wouldn't have written things like in Matthew 28 where he says, go and make disciples. That's why he gave us spiritual gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the works of ministry, to go out and to reach people for Christ, to make disciples. So those people that are saying, oh, God's going to save those he'll save. Then what are we here for? Am I getting too passionate? Stu, am I okay? Seriously, we're expecting other people to. So maybe some people are leaning on the sovereignty of God, and that's their excuse. Well, I'm not going to do anything because when God's done with it, he'll be done with it. That's stupid, in my opinion. I think we also depend on what's called parachurch ministries. Now, when I say this, hang on, because some of you are part of parachurch ministries, and that's okay. I've worked at some, and I've been a part of some. That's okay. But para means to come alongside or to help the church. Can I just say that the church shouldn't need help? The church shouldn't need help. And now I get that paraministries are good for specific areas of ministry where maybe the, um, you could maybe do a job specifically for this, that, or the other. But what if the church really was being everything that it would be? Would we have gaps in our effectivity? Probably not. The point is, is this is the job of the church. The church is expecting someone else to reach the unchurched. Now, you go back over here to Nehemiah. The dude had a burden. The guy starts praying. He basically was looking sad one day. He's contemplating. I'm burdened. I'm trying to do my job, but I'm, I'm so burdened for this thing back home that I'm just like, oh, gosh. So he's far away. He's serving Artaxerxes. And the king's like, dude, what's wrong with you? I've never seen you so downcast. He says, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? And then the king said to me, what would you request? 
Well, I just wish somebody maybe from some other town or some other place would go and do something about it. Well, I just wish some sort of ministry would start, you know, just like the um, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem ministry would start. And we could, he didn't pass the buck, did he? Look what he says. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah. And the king says, how long do you need? Do you know he was going to need a while? But because he had a burden, he asked the question, he got a burden, prayed about it, was willing to go, God gave him exactly what he needed to go fulfill that mission. You know, he goes on to say in Romans 1, and I'll try to end with this, I mean Romans uh, 10, how then will they call on him? How are they going to call on him uh, whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who carry the gospel, or the good news of good things, some of your versions say. That word beautiful means basically two things. One, there's a baby being born. She's a midwife, people. Don't, don't judge her. If it was you having those kinds of pains, you'd, you'd want her running too. Okay. How beautiful are the feet of those who deliver babies? <laughs> Two meanings. One meaning of the word beautiful, which is uh, hu rayu, belonging to the right hour or season. Of course, feet is, literally means feet, but it is more symbolic of movement, activity, motion, okay, progress. So you could read it this way, moving at the right time. How timely are the feet that are bringing good news and good things. I think that we forget that he sent them to plant, sent them and water. And how do you know that by inviting this person, well, just maybe even preaching to them right then and there, that their heart is not humble, their soil of their heart is not tilled up and ready to go. But we'll never know because we just wouldn't open our mouth or we weren't moving our feet towards those people. This idea of a timely moment. Remember earlier we talked about the timing? How beautiful are the feet? How timely are the feet? How timely is the movement towards those? How timely is it to bring that good news of good things to that person? And the second thing is that word beautiful is flourishing. So those two things you can look at. Timely. Beautiful can mean timely. It can also mean flourishing. As in This thing's growing. This thing's getting better. (laughs) Getting better at what? Getting better at moving forward. Moving forward with what? The gospel. Specifically their faith in the power of the gospel. Have we lost faith in the power of the gospel? Have we forgot that it's a simple message? Here's where you are. Here's where you could be. And here's how you get there. It's simple. The simplicity and purity of the gospel. And when we step out, when we move in the direction of bringing that good news, it is proof that we ourselves are flourishing in our faith. So how many people in the American church, according to these uh, statistics, are flourishing in their faith? Less than 2%. I don't know about you. That, is, that just makes me want to throw up. I'm done. But let's end the same way we started. Let's list our, our Bibles in the air.
Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, we know that it contains life. It gives